postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth story is with Amber Thornton. Amber worked hard for a healthy pregnancy and an unmedicated vaginal birth, but she didn't expect her water to release before 39 weeks. Despite an early hospital admission, labor progressed right along until it didn't. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you for making this podcast part of your day and for telling your friends and family and even sharing about it on your social media feeds. I truly, truly, truly do appreciate it. And if you happen to share on Instagram, make sure you add the hashtag birthful so I can see it and give it some love. All right. So Amber has been an avid birthful listener for a while. And right after she had her baby, she reached out wanting to share her story. I think this is probably the earliest any new parent has come on the show. Her son, Cedric, was four weeks old when we talked. I truly appreciate so much her wanting to share her story and talk about the extra fears that she had to face by being a black woman giving birth in the current U.S. maternity system. And moreover, how that fear overshadowed the meeting of her baby. If you have no clue of what I'm talking about, the facts are that compared to white women, black women are three to four times more likely to experience a pregnancy-related death. Black women are more likely to experience preventable maternal death. Black women's heightened risk of pregnancy-related death spans income and education levels, so changes in those factors don't affect the risk. And black women experience more maternal health complications. The reasons for this are complex, but they're not genetic. And they're, as I mentioned before, not related to educational level or whether you receive prenatal care or not. And they are not because of socioeconomic status. The reasons, as concluded by research, are racism and chronic oppression. So before we talk, I want to let you know this because it is a hugely important issue. And I also wanted you to know what Amber is referring to when she brings it up in her story. I have linked on the show notes several resources and articles for you to learn more about the topic, so please click through and inform yourself. And I also wanted to underline and place in bold with lots of exclamation points that this disparity is not the fault of black women. It is the fault of the system and the culture of chronic stress from both direct and institutionalized racism that can affect as far as three generations. These disparities are true for other people of color as well, such as Native Americans, refugees, Latinx, and others, but the rates are harsher for black people. Please hold this in context as you hear Dr. Thornton's story. Also note that this episode makes reference to chemical pregnancy loss and miscarriage. Here we go. Hello, Amber. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. And as I should say, Amber and your son, I can hear him in the background. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's He should be going to sleep soon. <laughs> and he's itty bitty. How old is he now? He's four weeks. He turned four weeks yesterday, so he still is really tiny. Wow. Happy first month. Thank you. Yeah. So let's think back. Before we start, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I am, uh, my name is Amber. I live in the DC area. I've been here for about a year with my husband. Um, and professionally, I'm a psychologist by trade. Um, but now I'm a new mom. So just trying to work on integrating both of those things. <laughs> oh, for sure. Do mm-hmm. you find that your experience as a psychologist has helped you navigate all these changes you've gone through? Or is it one of those things that you can't see the forest for the treats? I think it's helped a lot, actually, um, because I I work with children and adults, but just, I don't know, I think just my experience with like emotional, I don't know, just emotions and transitions, I kind of apply all of that to my life. So I think it's really helped me go through the transitions and kind of understand them a little bit more. Um, So I think that's helped a lot. It's helped me kind of get through things a lot more smoothly. Mm. And even though this is like something I tend to ask at the end, because we're talking about it right now, I'm going to ask, like, what are some of those things that you find you, you've you had to, some of those tools that you've had to reach for as you navigate mm-hmm. this transition? Yeah, well, actually, so I'm, we might come back to it, but I'm going to skip to, I guess, postpartum. I think that part has been kind of interesting. Some parts have been challenging. And for me, I found myself in moments telling myself, you know, this is a moment. It is not forever. And just kind of acknowledging my emotions without getting too stuck. Um, Just, you know, again, reminding myself that it's a moment. It's not going to be like this forever. It helps me to appreciate the moment, even when it's difficult. So that's one tool I've been using a lot. Mm -hmm. I like that tool. Yeah, and it's similar to that. This too shall pass. Like this is just exactly. Sex. Yeah. Yes. I always like to tell my um, my doula clients about day three, and it's that's like the epitome of this is a moment because day three after birth tends to be the moment where your hormones are toppling and babies trying to get your milk to come in so they want to eat nonstop, and you're probably being sent home and your milk's coming in so your breasts are getting hard and like it all happens that day and mm-hmm. it can be so overwhelming and people think like oh my god if this is my new reality i can't just it's it's just day three it's just day three <laughs> Exactly. Yep. I've been doing that a lot and it helps. (laughs) Good. I love it. So let's go back to, you know, a year ago. What, when you first found out you were pregnant um, or in your journey towards this, how did you prepare and what were your wishes? What were your your thoughts and expectations for birth? Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So going back, I first found out I was pregnant uh, September. It was September of 2018. Um, And we had actually been trying to get pregnant. So it wasn't a huge surprise. Um, And I found out pretty early, found out about four weeks. And so really my hope, well, I guess to backtrack prior to that, I had had a chemical pregnancy. Um, And I I don't like to call it a miscarriage because it feels like it was too... I don't know, it was different. It was a chemical pregnancy. And so I I had a positive test in January of 2018. And that was my first time ever being pregnant. And then it quickly um, terminated itself. And so that was really hard because I I think I had thought something was wrong with my body. And it gave me a lot of anxiety about pregnancies in the future. So that's kind of how I went into this pregnancy, unfortunately. And I had a lot of anxiety (laughs) that first trimester just about whether, you know, I was going to be able to maintain the pregnancy or, you know, whether something was going to happen or also because it just felt so surreal. I just, 
I kept telling myself, like, no, this this can't be real. I'm not going to have a baby. And so I I really tried to manage my anxiety a lot. But unfortunately, that first trimester was not fun because my anxiety was just so high. Mm. It was very high. Was the previous chemical pregnancy, did it... When did it terminate? Um, it terminated. I found out at about five weeks, and I would say maybe four days later, it terminated. Right. So, so you know, I, I, I do you find that because those first few weeks until the sort of that that time where your previous pregnancy had ended that those were filled with more anxiety and just part of what you were trying to do in terms of like a protective mechanism of saying this might not be real this might not be real Mm -hmm. yeah I think so honestly I think it was just trying to you know not get my hopes up too high but at the same time it was just making it very unenjoyable Mm. well and I'm sorry that you had that first trimester experience that you weren't able to to relax into it yeah, yeah, it, me too. And I think, you know, it's just a learning lesson. And next time, you know, if there's a baby number two, hopefully we can kind of have an easier time. But it, it did make it really hard. Mm-hmm. Were you able to, what, what changed into trimester two? That, that Did you ever get to enjoy your pregnancy a bit? Yeah, I did. I think, I don't know, honestly, I think just the more time had passed and the more prenatal appointments I had and, you know, I saw things were going well, especially I would say after around week 14 is when I really noticed I started to feel better. And then it was like, okay, I think this is really happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I really just think it was time and, you know, hearing, you know, that everything was looking great at my appointments and um, finally reaching that point where they say, you know, the risk of miscarriage drastically decreases. That was really helpful to me. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. then once it was good and it was real and everything was, was going well, did, did you switch tacks and start focusing on preparing? And what, if so, what did you do? Yeah, so I did start preparing. And for me, I wanted to, I just wanted it to be a very healthy pregnancy. I wanted to be, um, you know, active because prior to being pregnant, I, I eat really well. I exercise a lot. So I tried to keep that up. Um, I still was going to the gym pretty regularly, eating well. And also, I then at that point started to prepare my mind for actually giving birth. Because <laughs> that just seems like, I don't know, it was just such a big thing. So I started to listen to more podcasts and read some books because at that time I was hoping for an unmedicated vaginal birth. So I, I really was trying to get my mind right for what that would entail. Mm-hmm. What books are you reading? Um, there was a, oh, I should have got the name for you. Um, I think it's called, uh, Joyful Something. Man, maybe I can give the name to you after this, but, um, I think it's Finding Your Birth Joy. I think that's what it's called. Um, I read that one. That one was really helpful just about how to take the fear out of childbirth because I realized I had a lot of fear about childbirth. Um, and then also I started to read, um, what to expect when you're expecting, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it's one of those like old classics (laughs) that everybody reads. So I read like the first few chapters of that as well. And that was helpful. And then there's another book that we had, the, the 411 something, 
Um, so that one, those three, I kind of kept in rotation. Yeah, and I'll follow up with you for links to add in the show notes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course, this podcast was really helpful. I really loved the birth stories. That really helped me a lot because I think um, not only did it kind of help me prepare for what birth might be, but then also just all the different things that could come um, with birth stories and birth experiences. So that was super helpful, too. Yeah. And then you're here telling your story now. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so you prepared your mind, prepared your body, were eating well, you were reading your books. Then how did it all start? Mm-hmm. How did labor start? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, labor started, I was 30 weeks, no, 38 weeks, 38 weeks in like six days. Um, And I remember at the time I was trying to decide, do I want to continue working all the way through pregnancy? And I thought that I did um, until I got to the third trimester because that it started to get, I don't know, I just started to get really tired and heavy all of a sudden. And so I remember it was a Monday. Um, That Monday I went to work and I had planned to work that full week and then I was going to take off at week 39. Um, But that Monday I was just thinking like, oh, my gosh, I don't think I can work this week because I am so tired. I was so tired and I was like taking naps in between my clients and I just felt so heavy. And I just, I honestly thought I was going to have to take off for uh, week 38 as well. Um, But I got through the day, I got home. And then that evening, me and my husband were just watching TV and I felt like a trickle. (laughs) And then I went to the bathroom because I thought, oh my gosh, did my water just break? And it did. And so my water broke that night, that Monday night, um, it was May 20th at around nine o'clock at night. Um, So that's how it started. And I was, it was very unexpected because I just wasn't thinking about it. And honestly, the whole time I kept telling myself, I do not want to go into labor at night because that means less sleep. And of course it happened at night. Um, So at that time I called the hospital just because that's always what I heard you should do. Call the hospital if your water breaks just to let them know and see what they want you to do. Um, And so for me, I actually was group B strep positive. Um, And we can talk more about that if you'd like, but because of that, I definitely needed to go to the hospital because I did decide to go ahead and um, receive antibiotic treatment for the group B strep because they wanted me to come in, get antibiotics, antibiotics before um, giving birth. Mm -hmm. So it was really important for me to get there sooner than later. Yeah. And at that point, did you have a bag packed? Were you like, (laughs) did you have to run to the Mm -hmm. hospital or prepare a little bit before you did? I, so my bag was already packed because I, I'm a planner. I, my bag had been packed for weeks. <laughs> and so my bag was already packed. All I had to do was put a few things in. And my husband packed his bag uh, fairly quickly. But we weren't in a rush because I, at that time, the water had just broken. And it wasn't like a big gush. It was just a little trickle. Um, but I hadn't felt any contractions yet. So it felt like we had time. So we weren't rushing. We just kind of slowly gathered our things, decided what to do with our dog and then we got to the hospital about an hour and a half later. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's take a break here so that we don't have to get, take, then we get into the story and not take a break. We'll be right back. 
In our house, we are big on hydrating. Aside from all the important health benefits, I find that if I'm not well hydrated, I get these brutal headaches. So it's really important for me to hydrate. However, I do not like the taste of tap water and I cannot bring myself to buy bottled water because of all the plastic waste. So for years, we did pitcher filters, but then we switched to AquaTrue water purifiers. And after tasting the deliciousness of their truly clean water, we are never going back. What makes AquaTrue so unique is that they use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. This process removes 15% more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, also known as forever chemicals, that are found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. You can also forget about having to change filters every two to three months because AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. Now, if plastic bottles are your thing, just one set of filters from AquaTrue's classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code BIRTHFUL at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code B-I-R-T-H-F-U-L. And we are back. Okay, so... About an hour and a half later, you guys made it to the hospital. What happened then? So we got to the hospital. Again, we were taking our time. It just didn't feel like a big rush. We kind of were just a little shocked, but still enjoying the moment. Um, And that's in the car is when I started to feel some of the contractions. And that was the first time I had ever felt them because I have a few friends who have been pregnant and they experienced some like late in the pregnancy, but I, I hadn't at all. And so I started to feel them and I was like, oh, this is what they've been talking about this whole time, the contractions. So I felt them in the car and then um, in the garage when we were walking up to the hospital. So that was kind of cool. Um, so we got to the hospital and I actually was four centimeters dilated. Whoa. And again, that was a surprise to me because I, I the whole, yeah, <laughs> I was four centimeters. And again, it was surprising because I hadn't felt anything until my water broke. And so I I wasn't, I had not expected to be four centimeters already. So they admitted me right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so contractions were going, you were four, they got your, your IV for the antibiotics. What were you, were, what was your state of mind at that point? At that point, I was really calm and I was so surprised um, because so I'm I'm one that typically has anxiety in hospitals, like any other area of my life. I'm pretty calm. But like when it comes to doctors and hospitals and medical things, I get really nervous. And so I thought that I was going to be very nervous, but I guess maybe just the work that I did prior to birth, just trying to calm myself really helped. Um, Because once I got admitted and I was in there, I was so calm. I was happy. I was excited. Um, I felt like I was managing the pain of the contractions pretty well. So it was a a good time, as good as it could be. I was excited. 
Um, and so, yeah, they got the IV going for the antibiotics, um, met the nurses. We got into the room and we were just ready to ride out the contractions. Mm-hmm. So I felt good at that point. Oh, I'm, well, I'm glad you were excited and feeling calm and happy for it. That's great. And you didn't have that like sort of white coat hypertension thing. <laughs> nope, nope. I usually do, but that time I did not. So I was really happy about that because um, I had also, I think, listened to your podcast and read about how when you are nervous or stressed out or not feeling safe, that can really stall labor. And I did not want that. So, um, yeah, I was mm-hmm. very happy that I felt so calm. And so then labor started, continued to pick up. What happened? Mm-hmm. It did. So labor continued to pick up. And so, again, I, I was hoping for an unmedicated vaginal birth. Um, and labor progressed beautifully. <laughs> it was beautiful. Um, so I'm trying to get my time right. Uh, I got in there. I was four centimeters. Um, it progressed pretty quickly. Um, and this is when things started to get a little hairy because initially the contractions felt painful but manageable. But... I don't know, like within an hour or two, they started to really come on strong and I felt unprepared. (laughs) They were just, I don't even know how to describe them. People asked me what they were like and it was just like um, one moment they felt manageable and then the next moment they came on quicker and stronger. And then at one point I remember saying, I'm not getting a break because the contractions just, they were just so intense. And so at that point, you know, I was trying because we didn't have a doula and that was something I had made the decision this first time. I just wasn't sure if I needed one. And now looking back on it, I think I wonder um, how I would have done with the contractions if I would have hired the doula. Um, But in that moment, I was trying to do a lot of things that I had read about. Like I had my birth ball. um, I was getting up and walking around. And um, my husband was doing the counter pressure on my back and my hips. And it was just, oh, it was so intense. And so at that time, I had started to entertain the idea of getting an epidural. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I just, I felt like I wasn't getting a break with the contractions. Was there a tub available for you or you just didn't feel like getting in a tub? Nope, there was no tub. There was a shower, but um, I didn't feel like getting in the shower. Um, You know, when I felt like I wanted to get up and walk around, it was just, uh, it was, it was a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so no tub, unfortunately, I wish I would have had access to a tub, but I, I didn't even feel like getting into the shower. So yeah. So you were thinking about an epidural. And so then did you Mm -hmm. go for it? I did. I did. So it was, yeah, I I went ahead for the epidural and I was really, in the moment, I was very disappointed and I I was doing a lot of crying. You know, I remember saying, this is not what I wanted because I had felt like I had worked so hard up until that point to prepare my mind for an unmedicated birth. Um, And even just, you know, in the few hours I was in the hospital, um, when I got the epidural, I was seven centimeters And so, um, and that had been about four or five hours. So it progressed so quickly. Um, And so I I know I was really disappointed, but once I got the epidural, I felt so much better physically. I just felt so much better. And, you know, at that point it was kind of like, well, this is what needed to happen. And so I had. Yeah. And, and it's there for me. I mean, there's no, 
I know it's hard when you don't plan on it and then you feel like it seems you were mm-hmm. crying that you were feeling that you were quote unquote failing somehow, but there's no failure. There's just, you just do what's mm-hmm. right for you. Yeah. And that's what you needed yeah. at that yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. In that moment, I definitely needed it because I just, I couldn't imagine continuing. I don't know. It just felt like the contractions were not ending. <laughs> like I remember hearing about the wave and that for a while I was getting the wave, but after a while it was no waves. It was like continuous and it was, ugh, it was very painful. So I, I got the epidural when I was seven centimeters and I, I don't regret that at this point. Mm-hmm. And the, the epidural, so you were feeling really great. And it's like, oh, I can get a break. Did you nap? Did you start feeling different sensations? How how was the epidural? Yeah, so the epidural, I've always been so afraid of an epidural. Um, just It just sounds scary, but honestly, doing it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Of course, that's always how it is. Um, and, I, you know, that epidural experience was honestly probably the best it could have been because um, I always knew that if I did get an epidural, I don't want to be totally immobile. And that wasn't the case. I could still move a little bit. Um, I still felt my legs a little bit, but the contractions did not feel, (laughs) didn't feel the contractions, but I I still could feel my limbs a little bit. So it was a nice, happy medium of, I don't want to be totally numb, but I want some relief from the pain. And so it was, it was, it was a great experience getting that. And so once I got it, it was, what time was it? It was maybe three or four in the morning. Um, And so at that point, we, I just rested me and my husband, we were like, okay, well, I'm feeling better. Let's just go to sleep until we get to 10 centimeters. And that's what we did. And it was, it was very helpful. Mm -hmm. So how did you know you were at 10 and it was time to stop resting? Mm-hmm. So uh rested for about two, three hours. And then I had um, one of the doctors come in and check and they were like, OK, you're at 10. <laughs> and so it was it was really as simple as that. They came in, checked me um, and I was at 10 centimeters. And that was about eight in the morning. Mm-hmm. At eight in the morning on Monday, um, I was 10 centimeters and then they gave me a few minutes to kind of just get up and well, not get up, but wake up a little bit. And then we were, it was time to push. Mm-hmm. And how was the pushing? Mm-hmm. Were you feeling any, any pressure, any sensations, any urges to put, were you feeling anything to go with it? Uh, so once I got the epidural, not necessarily, no. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, in the beginning, no. Um, and so what happened, um, you know, they kind of instructed me when to push because I, I still couldn't feel any contractions. So with that, the pushing was in the beginning really easy for me because I, I, I didn't feel the contractions. I was being directed to push, um, and the one thing that I actually didn't like, though, even though it felt easy, it was I, I didn't know how well I was doing. And I guess this is ultimately why I wanted to have an unmedicated birth, because, you know, they would encourage me to push. And then, you know, they would, you know, say, oh, you're doing so well. But I just couldn't feel it. So I didn't know how well I was doing. And I was very skeptical about whether <laughs> they were telling me the truth or whether I was really doing anything because I just couldn't feel it. 
Um, but I just had to trust, you know, that I was doing something. And so that was kind of, and eh, I wish that I, I could feel this to know um, what I'm doing and to really feel my body. But that was one of the downsides. But otherwise, it, it felt easy because I was just, you know, pushing when they told me to do it and, and you know, just going with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, though, <laughs> the pushing um, was not as successful. And so um, I ended up pushing for about two hours with the nurses and the doctor came in to check. Um, He actually came in to check the first hour and said, we're not making as much progress, but let's continue. And in about an hour, if we're not making much more progress, we should think about other options, meaning the C-section. And that was really the first time that I had even entertained the idea of possibly needing to have a C-session. So I was really, you know, kind of like, okay, we we have to make this work. (laughs) So that second hour, we pushed some more. And unfortunately, doctor came in and checked and said he still wasn't making much progress. And actually what was happening was he was feeling some coning of his head. And so that was super discouraging because um, I did not want a C-section. I did not want a C-section. And uh, so, yeah, so at that time, I, I, I kind of advocated for myself a little bit. I asked the doctor, okay, are we in any rush? Is the baby in any distress? And he said, no, the baby's doing fine, not in any distress. Um, there's no rush. And so I asked for some time to just kind of move around a little bit. I didn't get out of bed because I couldn't walk as well because I was still a little numb, but I changed positions in bed. Like I got on all fours just to kind of rock a little bit and try pushing in that position. Um, They set the bed where it was like I was sitting up and tried to push that way or just kind of stay that way, just trying to do anything we could to see if the baby could change his position, um, because what the doctor was saying was that the baby was in a position where his head and sho- excuse me, his head and shoulders were not gonna make it through the canal because it was I don't know in a weird position where it was too much, not enough space for how he was. And so that was another moment where I wondered if I had a doula, how would that be different? Because <laughs> I was just doing things that I had previously learned and read about. But if I had a doula, I, I just wonder, you know, what other things could have been done or, um, you know, what more could I learn about what was going on in that moment to help? Right. Um and did they tell you, so you were fully dilated, did, did the doctor mention station at all, like in terms of how low his head was? Yes, I think he said two, I forget the positive and the negative, the, uh, I, I forget, I want to say a one or a two, I forget which one positive or negative, which one means which, Um So you probably know more about what that means. (laughs) So the reason I'm asking for the station is if you Uh go, so if you draw an imaginary line between your sit bones, your ischial spines in, in the pelvis, that's the zero. And usually, so what, like when you're pregnant, the baby's floating. So it's high up floating. And as the head comes down and engages, it goes from like minus three, minus two, minus one, zero, plus one, plus two, plus three, usually baby's starting to crown, crown plus four, mm-hmm. plus five, baby's out. Um, yeah. So whether it's a plus or a minus does make a difference because we don't know if it's yes. higher up or further yes. down. So, yeah. 
<laughs> it was it was definitely a plus now that you say that. And I think he was between like plus one and plus two. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, plus one, plus two, he was further in than the zero. So he was somewhat in, like the head was coming through is just it was things, circumstances come together. And it's hard to say, like, what, what, why did we get here? Yeah. 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 And what, what one of the doctors or the doctor or the nurse, I forget which one had said was that what they thought happened was that he had turned a little too quickly. I guess the position that he was in would have been more helpful if he was further down. Um, but he was already in that position and wasn't further down yet. So I don't know if that means anything to you either, but that's what they told me. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's hard to say. We don't have those cameras, you know, to go in and actually see what <laughs> positioning they're mm -hmm. in. And, and usually when there's something stuck, you do the things that you were doing. You move and move and move and move. But with the epidural, there's only so much you can move. So it's hard to say um, maybe doing a lunge would have. You just do different, mm -hmm. different hip positionings. Yeah, yeah. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, I want to hear how it seems like you had a cesarean, how the cesarean ended up being for you, and then a bit about postpartum. We'll be right back. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. And we're back with Amber talking about her birth story. And yeah, it's so like one of the things that is a little bit of a mantra in the in, the, in my doula world is you don't go down the what if because Mm -hmm. You know, what if it was a different day of the week? What if the sun was shining? What if, like, you have, there's, it's really hard to know how things would make a difference. And, it, you know, and, and then you go down that what if, and it's like, well, what if you'd move more? Or what if you've had a doula? Or what if you had a different doctor? Or if, what if you gave birth at home? Or what, if, you know, it's just all the mm -hmm. what ifs are, 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 are interminable. 
Yep. And though I went through all of those what ifs, especially the what if I had a doula? What if I didn't need the epidural? What if I had a different doctor? All of those things. Um, but I've kind of made peace with it. So I think you're right. I, I don't do the what if as much as I, I did in that moment. It's really hard not to do it, though. I, I hear you because you want an answer. You want the clarity as to what led me this way to see if maybe we can do it differently next time. Yep. Yep. So at what point, so you pushed for two hours and when the doctor came back in, was it pretty much like, yeah, this is it? Or, you know, you advocated for more time. How much time did you get? I got another hour. So that was total about three hours that first two hours of pushing and then that last hour of me changing positions and pushing in different positions. Then after that hour, the doctor came in, checked again, and nothing had changed. And I I just remember being so discouraged because the nurses were so encouraging while I was pushing and saying, oh, you're doing a great job. And then the doctor to come in and say, no, this isn't working. And it was just, I was so discouraged. Um, and so at that time, that was when the doctor said, you know, I don't want to continue to have you push because um, he was really concerned about the baby's head and the coning that he felt. And so he did tell me that the C-section was probably the best option. So um, he gave me some time to compose myself because I was really upset about the C-section um, because in my mind, it just it felt like, OK, I, I wanted the unmedicated breath. I wanted the vaginal birth. I didn't get that. Now I'm, I'm having a C-section and this is not what I wanted at all. So, you know, he gave me and my husband some time. And luckily, my husband is is really great. He's very level headed and he he it's just he's a great person. <laughs> and he really helped me understand that, you know, at this point, we got to move forward. It's going to be fine. This is what's for the best. And we're going to have a baby. And so it was helpful to kind of just have that moment where just he and I kind of talked about it. And then I was as ready as I could be to go. But I was really, I was discouraged. And I was also just scared. I was really scared about the procedure, um, about, you know, just in the moment how the procedure would go. But then also the recovery. I wasn't prepared for a C-section recovery because I, I hadn't even entertained that in all the preparing that I had done. So I was I was so scared. I was I think that's just the best way to say it. I was scared going into it. What you said your your husband was reassuring and gave you some clarity into the moment. Was there anything that helped you be less scared or diminish that feeling? Uh, the fear. Uh, other than the, honestly, the nurses were great. Um, I had really great nurses and they also, you know, were just telling me, you know, you did such a great job. We're right here. And so them being so um, kind and caring and, and encouraging, that kind of helped diminish my fear. But a lot of my fear, I think I just had to go through it. Um a lot of it was about, I, I don't, so this is, uh, I think going into it, I had a lot of fear about childbirth, especially with being a black woman and um, just hearing a lot about mortality and, and complications for black women and giving birth. And so that was something that really 
challenged my experience a bit or interfered a lot. And so especially going into the C-section procedure, I was so nervous about something happening or bleeding or something like that. And so I think, you know, honestly, that fear, it continued until the procedure was over. (laughs) And, you know, once it was done and I was out of the operating room, that's when I I felt the relief. But I think that's a lot of where that fear was coming from. Mm, which is a valid, I mean, all fears are valid, but the, considering the the state where we're in right now, and that is something, the outcomes for Black mothers is something that is very up in the news, and it's something that people are paying attention to and trying to do things to change it. Like, we, are, we have awareness now, and now it's how are we going to fix this, but... I can appreciate how giving birth and having a cesarean in that climate can bring on a lot more fears. Yeah, it did. And I think looking back, you know, one thing I realized, um, again, I wish that I could have felt less fear. And because, you know, even during the procedure, I was so nervous and I kept asking the the nurses, is everything going okay? (laughs) Is everything going okay? Because I I just, I needed reassurance that everything was going as it should be. Um, Or even when, you know, I heard the babies cry, I still was really distracted because I knew after that there was also birthing the placenta and I still was asking, you know, are we still going okay? Is still, everything's still okay? And so I felt like in that moment, you know, when he was born and they did, um, they brought him to my face and my chin, I couldn't be in the moment. And that, looking back on it, kind of sucks, but it, I think that's just what fear does. It, it takes you out of the moment. It's really hard to be present. Um, and luckily after that, I was able to be present with the baby and do some, some skin to skin. But in that moment during the C-section, it was, it was tough. It was tough because I, my mind wasn't prepared for it. I was really fearful. Um, and so that really interfered a lot. Hmm. That's a really hard place to be, especially as your baby is being born and not being able to, you know, be there and connect, appreciate that moment because you've got so many other concerns that are valid, right? Um, So did you, when you you said you did some skin to skin, was that once you got out and immediately in the, while you were in the recovery room? Yes. So I, I will say that despite all my fears, the nurses, the doctor, everything, everything was, they were so great. <laughs> they were so great. They answered all my questions. Even when I kept asking, you know, is everything okay? Someone always let me know that things were going well. They were w- tell me what they were doing. Um, and so as soon as baby came out, they wiped him down a little bit and put him close to my face. And so my husband was actually like holding the baby so the baby could put his face and his hands on my chin and my face. And so we did that while they were, um, I guess, sewing everything up uh, to finish out the procedure. And then once I was out of the operating room, they brought the baby in and I could do actual skin to skin on uh, my chest and breast. And so that was really nice um, and trying to see if he could latch. And so we did that for about an hour too. Um, just me, him, and my husband in the room. So that was really nice, too. Right after the procedure, we did that. Mm. And mm-hmm. how, and, and the baby, your baby was fine. Like, how were his apcars? How his cry was strong? How much did he weigh? How did he do? Yeah, he was great. Everything was great. Apgar was great. Baby's cry was super strong. 
Um, and then also he weighed uh, six pounds, 14 ounces, and he was 20 inches. He was about a week early. So he, he did pretty well. I was going to say, he that's a really good well. size for for mm-hmm. being 38 weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how did, d- during that hour with breastfeeding, was he interested? Did he latch? How did that go? So that did not go as well. But at, at that time, I just, I wasn't as concerned about it because the nurse came and helped me a little bit. And she said, you know, he's still just kind of sleepy. So, you know, just keep trying. But if not, just keep doing skin and skin. So he never really latched. He was just very sleepy. Um, so we just kind of let him rest on me um, for the next few hours or so. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Yeah, so then we moved into the postpartum room, the recovery room. And um, yeah, I think <laughs> so at that point, I think we all were just kind of like on cloud nine. We were just so happy and I was excited. But at that point, my pain started to kick in <laughs> and I really started to feel uh just the pain of having the C-section and the procedure done. So um, right after that, there was a lot of managing my pain, which we were trying to do. So I got some medication for that um, and just a lot of resting and holding baby. Um, One thing that I think did not go as well was the breastfeeding in the hospital in the latching, Um, because unfortunately he did not latch well in the hospital at all but then also it seemed like my colostrum was a little late and that was something I learned after the fact that could happen sometimes when you do have a c-section the milk or the colostrum could come in a little bit later so it seemed like to me my colostrum really didn't come in until that next day which made that first night in the hospital awful (laughs) because he was tired and hungry and crying and we were so exhausted and had no clue what to do um and the lactation consultant wasn't coming till the next morning so we actually ended up giving him formula for that first night just so that he would get something because he honestly didn't eat that whole day just because i was having trouble getting the colostrum to come in and he wasn't latching Um, so the nurse gave us some formula. Um, another thing I advocated for, she wanted to give him a bottle and I just said, no, 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 because I want to breastfeed. And so I I asked for a syringe because it was just something I had read about. Um, and so we syringe fed him at my breast for the first night or two until my colostrum, um, came in until I got some help from the lactation consultant. Mm-hmm. That's hard too, because yeah, yeah, sometimes the cesareans can, and and I think also more than the cesarean. I mean, it's a combination, but even all the fluids with the epidural yeah. can kind of start yeah. that process. The inf- the information is more that it's the swelling, the edema that you get from water retention that kind of mm-hmm. gets everywhere. It gets in baby, gets in you, your breasts, so it makes it harder to latch too. Yep. Yep. I think that. And even I wondered too, with like the antibiotics and all the medication, just, yeah, it made things really hard. And also I think I had a tough time just coming down off of some of the anesthesia and the medication um, because that first night too, I just felt so loopy and lightheaded and woozy and that really scared me. So that was something we had to get through too. And the nurses were really helpful kind of 
helping me with that. So that that first night was probably the hardest night by far. Mm. And it sounds like it was important for you to focus on yourself that night just because a lot was going on and you were still, but but at the same time, you were still advocating for your baby and for the choices you wanted in terms of, you know, syringe fitting him at the breast so he could still get that skin to skin and be right there and the smells and the, and the nervous system regulation that don't necessarily happen. Yeah. 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 That's great. Um, did things get better when you went home in terms of his breastfeeding? Yeah, so things got a lot, well, things got better, not a lot better. Um, because once we were in the hospital, lactation consultant came, she showed me how to hand express and showed me that I did have colostrum and it was coming. Um, so that was really helpful and cool. Um, so in the hospital, he started to latch a little bit, but still not as much as we wanted. Uh, once I got to, once I got home, um, I have the Haka silicone pump. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that thing was super helpful with the colostrum. And so when I got home, what I was doing, because he still was having trouble with latching, latching was hard for him. Um, and so I do the pump and I would get some of the colostrum and then I would syringe feed him at the breast. Uh, we did that for about the first week, honestly, until I got another lactation consultant come to the house to help me out. Um, because we we had a lot of trouble with breastfeeding that first few week or so um, because he wasn't latching. And then also, I think part of it was I was in a lot of pain with the C-section. So positioning and everything was was kind of tricky. Um, and so I had a lactation consultant come uh, maybe that second week. Um, and she came and was super helpful um, just with positioning. But then also she encouraged me to start using a nipple shield because one thing I learned is that my nipples tend to be um, fairly flat or just not as firm. Um, And so baby kind of needs that firmness to to really latch on. So we're still using the nipple shield. I've been wanting to wean off of that, but he he really likes the nipple shield. Um, So I I might still try to wean off a little bit, but we're still using that. And that has been super helpful. Once I use that, he's been breastfeeding really, really well. Mm -hmm. Good. So I was going to ask you about in this whole process of syringe feeding, and that's that's tough, syringe feeding for for a week. Um, During that whole process, how was his weight? Because I know that's one of the big concerns. So how much did he lose? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was born at six pounds, 14 ounces at his first appointment. I think at that first appointment, he was maybe five days, no, maybe four days old. He had got down to six pounds, four ounces. So he lost about 10 ounces. So at that time, you know, it, it, we really tried to kick it into gear and it, it, it hit me like, wow, we really got to get this breastfeeding thing going because I don't want him to lose any more weight because I don't want any recommendations for formula right now. And so um, at that time, uh, luckily, we got the nipple shield. So that was working. Prior to that, I was exclusively pumping just because he wasn't um, latching. And that was whew, that was an experience hours and then syringe feeding him. So I'm so glad that we're past those days. Uh, So at his two-week appointment, he actually had got up to seven pounds. So we were super happy about that. He regained his weight 
plus a little bit. Yeah, which so, is kind of what they to... want to they want to see him back to birth weight at about two weeks. So the fact that he was already above his birth weight then is a testament to all the really hard work that you did to get him there. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was very excited about that. And he has a four week appointment on Monday. So I'm excited to see how much he'll weigh because he definitely feels heavier. <laughs> And now you're all, with the nipple shield, you're all at breast. You're not, you know, supplementing with anything or pump. It's all directly at your breast. Nope. Yep, all directly at my breasts. Yep. So I'm really glad about that. And again, one day we might wean off of the nipple shield. I'm going to try, but I'm happy where we are, even if we don't. Mm-hmm. And so I... I really appreciate your story of hearing this about your breastfeeding difficulties and how all the little things you've had to try, but that determination of and knowledge that breastfeeding is hard, even though it's natural, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't, you don't just magically exactly. know how to do it. No, it's so hard. And I think that's something I had heard, but you know, once I experienced it, it, I felt it at a different level. It was, you know, yes, this is hard. It's not intuitive at all. Um, I just feel like we've gone through so many phases with breastfeeding with him, with like the syringe feeding and then the pumping. And now he's actually feeding at the breast, but with the nipple shield. And for a while, even with the nipple shield, his latch was horrible. You know, I was getting a lot of pain at the nipple. But now, you know, a few days ago, I realized, oh, his latch has been really good. And so even with that, just him growing up a little bit and latching a little bit better. And so things just kind of gradually progressing. Um, so it started out really meek and <laughs> it, it's gotten so much better. And so it, yeah, I, I definitely would, you know, tell people that breastfeeding is difficult and challenging. And there were moments where I thought I should just stop, but I'm glad that I've continued and I hope I can continue because I think it's, it's very beneficial and definitely need a lot of support though. Yeah, um, yeah. Which so, I feel like I have. right. So, are you still seeing a lactation counselor or consultant? And what what other forms of support have you had for that? Yeah, so I don't see her anymore. That one time was really helpful and enough, um, but I definitely have her on speed dial just in case I need to see her again. Um, but other supports, I think just, again, my husband has been super helpful in all of this and just encouraging me to keep going, reminding me that I'm doing well. Um, I also have a lot of friends, interestingly enough, who've had babies within the past month or so. And so, you know, I, I actually gathered them all together. We have a group me. We talk about all the breastfeeding struggles, newborn struggles. And so having that um, that means of support is really helpful to just having a group of people that I can touch base with who's going through the same thing is is really really nice. Mm, it's so huge. that type of support really helps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's mm -hmm. huge. I'm so glad you've like built up your village and decided to create your own group um, of people because it's, yeah. it, it can, that support can take on all different forms and, and you can like get creative and sometimes it's just phone, you know, FaceTime support, mm -hmm. <laughs> but mm -hmm. that works yep. too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How were you doing with your cesarean recovery and how did that um, how did that go? Mm -hmm. So I'm right now I'm at four weeks postpartum and I think I'm doing well. Um, I'm, I feel like I can walk around. My pain is managed. Um, I actually don't take any medications at this point. Um, what helped me, I think was of course trying to rest, but also really, 
you know, they encourage you to get up and walk around as much as possible. So I, I did that. Um, and so it, it wasn't too bad. I think the first week was the worst because it was, you know, there was a lot of pain, um, which meant that I couldn't really do much with baby. I couldn't carry him around, couldn't um, hold him as much. And so really I was just doing feedings and then passing him off to my husband. Um, but after that first week, I started to feel a little bit more mobile. My swelling was going down. So it took time, but I'm, I'm definitely feeling closer to, to normal. That's awesome. I'm really glad to hear it because I, I don't, I don't think I talked to, I don't get birth stories this early on. Like you're um, in my mind is like, he's only four weeks. He's a month. <laughs> <laughs> you're both fresh, fresh yeah. mama and fresh baby. Um, so what are, where are you in now with your whole experience and mental state? And is there something you would like make sure that listeners know about your experience? Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I think I'm just kind of navigating maternity leave and, um, you know, this new identity of motherhood. Um, I think I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I, again, I think all the support that I have has been really helpful. So I think that's one thing that I would really want to let listeners know is that, you know, if you are able to, you know, prior to even getting pregnant and during pregnancy and prior to birth, really work on building a village and a support system. Cause that was one thing I, I did um, want to be intentional about. I knew that going into this, it would be a, a big change and I needed to expand my social, social circle a little bit. And so it led me to, you know, like I said, gathering all my friends with babies and starting a, a group messaging or spending more time with um, some of my friends who are wives and mothers just to kind of get a feel for what that's like. And um, now I feel like I have such a big village of support and that is really helpful. Um, but also I think just navigating maternity leave. Um, I'm not someone who enjoys maternity leave a lot just because I'm so used to being like the professional and working and, you know, getting all of my positive reinforcement from that. And so this is very different. So I'm, I'm trying to get used to it and, you know, tell myself that this is a new part of my identity. It's not all of my identity and that one day soon I'll be able to integrate both of those things. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. But for now, just trying to be mindful and stay focused and learn, you know, my baby as much as possible. Um, and recently I started driving again so I can get out a little bit. So that helps. So we're just taking it day by day. <laughs> mm -hmm. So good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your and on this transformation. Um, <laughs> they all unfold very in a unique way. And thank you so much for being on the show. No problem. Thank you for having me. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. And if you wanted to know what Amber had for breakfast, it was oatmeal with... Greek yogurt, walnuts, blueberries, and raisins. I have one more bite so I won't be chewing while we're recording. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. 
This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know. 